in part two of Don't Be a Snob. If you are on social media, hashtag Don't Be a Snob. We'll also send you any uh, email. If you, we'll send you an email of the notes as well at info at bridgechurch.cc. So just send us an email, and we'll send you back those notes. Now, last week was an, inten- an intense message. <coughs> and after service, I had uh, one guy come up to me, and he said, thanks for the throat punch. Now, if you think it was hard hearing that message, just think about me. Uh, I, hear, I heard Pastor preach that uh, uh, two Thursdays ago. And then I take the week, I take, uh, on the weekend, I take the message and I kind of personalize a little bit. And then so I preached it. And then I also listened to it while it was online. So if you, if you got throat punched last, last Sunday, hey, it was just one time. That was three times for me. So, uh, so I felt it as well. I don't know about you, but I need to be challenged at times with how I'm living. Do any of you need to be challenged out there sometimes? Okay, some of you. Uh, For God to show me (coughs) if I have the right mindsets and that my heart is tender and has not been hardened. You know, I think we need that throughout life, and we need that accountability. There's an attribute of God that we don't talk about very often, yet the scriptures speak speak frequently about it. And that's the attribute we're going to investigate in this series. God is impartial with his dealings with all people. God is impartial. This means he is completely unlike us because we are very biased in our dealings with people. And uh, God has uh, uh, done a work in my heart as well. I see, uh, I see my friend there. He's got an Ohio State shirt. Uh, go Buckeyes. He has shown me that I cannot be uh, impartial to any Wolverine fans that come to this church. But, uh, you know, we tend to put everyone into some kind of category. Uh, But our carnal categories mean nothing to God. They mean nothing to God. God doesn't snub you because of what you lack. Neither is he impressed by your status or your wealth. Let's return to the book of James. Uh, James lays out a series of tests to determine if your faith is alive or dead. And that's a good question for us to ask. Is our faith fully alive or is our faith dead? And James calls on individual believers and the church to conduct a thorough self-examination to determine if we're genuine Christians, if we are healthy Christians. You know, if I went to a doc, if I if I had a disease inside of me, if I had cancer inside of me, I would want the doctor shooting straight. I don't, want, I don't want to mess around. If something's wrong with me internally, I want, I want the doctor to help take care of that. And the same thing with God. If something is not right with us internally, even if we call ourselves believers, then I want God, I want the Holy Spirit, God's very presence that lives inside the believers to deal with me about that, even if it's hard. The first test in James was is how, how to respond to trials. The second test was how you respond to temptation. And the third test was how you respond 
to truth. So God is testing you to kind of see where you're at, and he'll do that through trials, temptation, and his truth. So are some of you being tested in any of those right now, or all three maybe? In this sermon series, we're focusing on the fourth test. Do you value all people equally? Do you value all people equally? What is your reaction to the poor, to the needy, and to the broken? How do you respond when you see that? Do you, fo- do you show favoritism based on a person's race, their sh- social status, their bank accounts, some aspect of their outward appearance? <clears throat> Are you prejudiced, partial, biased, bigoted? A respecter of persons, like the Bible says. James says how you react to trials, temptations, and truth is a test that reveals your relationship with God. And how you evaluate the people who intersect your life is a test. Your reaction will demonstrate whether or not our faith is real. If we are a child of God, if the life of God beats within our soul, then you will react to all people in a measure as God would react because we are his kids. And you are part of his family now. Um, When you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you should treat people differently than when before you knew Jesus Christ. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, if, if your life really hasn't changed and the way you treat people hasn't really changed, then you need to allow God to do a work in you, one, to see if you're really saved, and, and two, to see if you are in a healthy place in your faith. Or not. Jesus didn't just die on the cross for some people. He died on the cross for all people. And if God values all people, then I should value all people as well. So let me ask that question to you. Do you? Do you value all people? Or just some people? God has given me opportunities to work through my prejudices. Now, I uh, grew up uh, in the country, and Amish were all my next-door neighbors. I don't get much more country than that. Uh, Actually, the area that I'm I'm from and that my, my, my parents still live, it is the fourth largest Amish population in the world. That's how big it is. Do you think growing up there was some prejudice going around when you live in the country? Just a little bit. Listen, we had tractor day at school. (laughs) Where every kid that has a tractor can drive it to school that day. It don't get 
much more country than that. Listen, <laughs> someone said nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Amen. Listen, let's, let's do track your day tomorrow to work, all right? If you got a lawnmower, that will work as well. It may take you an hour to get to work, especially if you live in Raleigh. Good luck with that one. But <clears throat> God has taken me to different places throughout the country and all over the world for me to work on my prejudices. <clears throat> I lived in San Francisco, California when I graduated college. Do you think that there's a little bit different mindset in San Francisco, California, than there is in Burton, Ohio, around Amish country. Not only did I live in San Francisco, I lived on Haight Street, H-A-I-G-H-T, and Haight and Ashbury were just a few blocks away. And any hippies in here may have heard of that, where uh, Janis Joplin and all that, you know, Grateful Dead, I mean, that, all that area was really well known back in the day. And there was just a little bit different mindsets there. Uh, I was just a couple blocks away from the Castro District. And if you know anything about the Castro District, that is uh, one of the main districts in the world for people who live an alternative lifestyle. So here you have me, a country boy, walking around the streets, just want to say hi to everybody. Hey, how you doing? How you doing? And like Noah's like, like, no one looks at you. No one looks at you. Like, you just, listen, if you're from the country and you go to a city and you just want to be friends with everybody, it ain't going to happen, man. You know, no one's calling you Suge in the city. And uh, so God had to work on my prejudice in that area. He took me to Las Cruces, New Mexico, and gave me a love for Mexican food like I've never had before. Because Mexican food out there is the bomb. And, uh, <clears throat> and so now I'm kind of a Mexican food snob a little bit. But, but also, when you live in New Mexico, which is in the continental United States, many people think that it's not, but it is. Um, but, man, you're surrounded by Hispanics. Surrounded by Hispanics. So God had a deal in my heart with people who were Hispanic. And he did that for several years. I spent summers in Southside Chicago. If you are from Chicago and you know the Southside is probably one of the roughest areas in the country, one of the highest uh, rates of crime. And if you're in the Southside Chicago, there's not too many people that look like me in the Southside of Chicago. And I spent a summer there. So I go out there, and I'm like, well, I guess I'll, you know, I guess I'll play some ball, show my hoop skills with some of these guys. <clears throat> Listen, man, I'm quick. I'm quick, but I've never been dunked on so much in my life as I was that summer. God took me to France. I spent a summer in France, and, uh, and so... Um, that's when Lance Armstrong, I think, was winning. Uh, I think it was like his second Tour de France that he was winning. And, uh, and I remember sitting in a cafe, and we're watching Lance, and we're cheering him on. And, uh, and, and, and the, the, the manager just comes up, 
and he just turns the TV off and walks away. <laughs> I was like, I was so mad, dude. I was so mad. But I can kind of understand why he'd be upset. But, uh, but I tell you what, man, there, there'd be a mindset that God had to work in my life and in my heart for, for French people. Um, <clears throat> God took me to North Africa in a closed Muslim country for a summer. And, uh, you know, we really didn't think a whole lot about Muslims and, and, uh, uh, and, and Islam and all that, the whole culture, a whole lot until 9-11 happens. And all of a sudden, 9-11 happened, and it got everyone's attention. And so I was there after all that, and God had to deal with my heart about what I thought about people that were Muslim. And my wife spent almost an entire year there. So now, whenever we see someone that's Muslim, whenever, whenever we're like, we're out in public and my wife sees someone that's, that's Muslim, you know what most people do? Most people try to walk on the other side of the so- sidewalk. My wife is like, you can, can I go talk to her? We got time for me to talk to her? She just has a heart for those people. What's going on up in here? I swear, that was not me, dude. (laughs) Awkward. Man. You guys playing, some media playing a joke on me this morning. I don't know. All right. Bring it back on track. Bring it back on track. Um, so what I'm saying is that empathy and understanding comes from proximity. Empathy and understanding comes from proximity. When you take the time to get to know people that are different from you, and you start to actually care about people that are different from you. When you when you take the time to get to know people that are different from you, you will actually start to care about people that are different from you. So if we're, if, man, if we listen to this entire series, but we don't take the time to get to know people that are different from us, it's a waste. It's a waste. Listen, we're preaching this hard truth for you to start practicing in your life and for me to start practicing in my life as well, more than we are. What I have learned personally is if I'm having a hard, t- <coughs> having a hard time loving someone, the more I pray about that person, the more compassion I have for that person because I start seeing that person like Jesus starts seeing that person. And so it's just really important if you are having a heart, man, I, I, I really appreciate it. There was, there was a gentleman here that was here last week, and, um, and he's, he's not here today. But, but afterwards, he came to me and he said, he said, man, I really appreciated this sermon, but I'm really having a hard time uh, with people that are Muslim. He admitted that. And, and one of the things I told him to start doing is just pray for those people. 
and ask God to give him opportunities to get to know those people. And when you pray, and when you pray for your heart, and when you pray for opportunities, God will show up. So who is it for you that you have a hard time loving? What kind of people that are different from you, just be honest with you, that you are having a really hard time loving? And I guarantee you, if you will take the rest of this month and pray for them, and you ask God to give you opportunities to build friendships with these people, he will. He will. We're focusing on James 2 because he writes in a very practical way about the sin of partiality in the life of the local church. The principle James wants us to get is simply this. As Christians, we are to be like our God. Our God is not prejudiced, and he forbids his followers to be prejudiced as well. So let's look at James 2. 1 through 4 in the Amplified Version. It says, My fellow believers, do not practice your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of partiality toward people. So show, show no favoritism, no prejudice, no snobbery. Now we knew that robbery was a sin. Now we know that snobbery is. For if a man comes into your meeting place, synagogue where Christians were allowed to meet, wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. Now in the Greco-Roman world, the wealthy were distinguished by the cleanliness of their clothes in a gold signet ring. And a poor man in dirty clothes also comes in. And you pay special attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and says to him, You sit here in this good seat. And you tell the poor man, you stand over here or you sit down on the floor by my footstool. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? The rich, influential man gets the best seat in the house and the poor nobody is told, you just sit down here on the floor at the rich man's feet by his footstool. The Lord warns us against the sin of discrimination in verse 4. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? The American church today is one of the biggest places you see discrimination and prejudice. I'm going to get up in your grill here a little bit. Just get ready. Buckle up. Some throat punches like my buddy told me last week. You say, well, that's not true. I don't see that. Have you ever been to a family church? A church where everyone in the church was related to one another? Mm Mm-hmm. And have you walked in the church, the family church, and everyone's looking at you like, 
What you doing, Willis? What you talking about, Willis? That's from Different Strokes. Man, what a, what a great show. Good. Some of you have no clue what that is. That's all right. Oh, Gary Coleman there. Um, in a family church, if you confront sin that you see, families in that church will gang up on you. Even though what they're doing is wrong, you're the bad guy. Can I just say how glad I am to not be in a family church? There is a guy named Tony who does construction. He goes to the Princeton campus. And um, he was sitting around one morning eating breakfast with some, uh, with some gentlemen. And some of them were, were older. Tony's, you know, more of a younger guy. And uh, one of the guys was saying <clears throat> somehow the bridge got brought up in the conversation. And uh, Tony wasn't going to the bridge at this time. And he heard one of the guys saying, uh, I hear at the bridge that they got recliners. And they got these big old screens that you just sit there in a recliner and watch. Now, that's when we had this. We, had, we started with video service on Sunday. There's a big old screen that came down there. I heard they got recliners. And they watch big screens there. And you know what Tony said? Well, man, I got to check that church out. (laughs) So he came to the bridge, was a little disappointed we didn't have recliners. But he really liked it. And he's been attending ever since. You know, I... Man, there's a lot of great churches around here. And I'm friends with a lot of pastors in this area. Friends that, pastors that don't look like me at all. And they are near and dear to me. And I hope that if you attend the bridge on a regular basis, you're not like one of these good old boys. That's just so close-minded. And, and talks negative about church. But you know what, man? People that talk negative about us, I tell you what, man, there, there's been several people that I've talked about, that, that I've, that I've uh, heard that when they've talked to people that were negative about the church, it made them want to check out the bridge even more so. So let them talk. Because we know what's going on here. We know the move of God that is happening in the lives here, in, in the families, in marriages. And I'm just so glad uh, what's, what's, what God's doing. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. You know, he said that nearly 50 years ago. And the sad part is, that's still true today. Still true today. Nothing against all of you out there or us up on stage. We're too white around here, man. There's too much whiteness in this church. A couple of you are like, I'm not sure if I should supposed to clap on that or not. 
we're too white on staff. We, we, got, we, got, we got too many white people on staff. Can I say that? I just did. You can say you're all about diversity, but we need to make some changes. We need to make some changes. And, um, you know, I, 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 I will say that these staff hires that we, uh, these new staff hires that we had, you know, we, we interviewed uh, people that, that were not white. And, uh, and you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't get a job, be, they didn't get the job because they weren't white. It just, they weren't, a, they just weren't a good fit. But there's some changes that need to happen here. And, and I'll be one of the first ones to admit it. We as Christians and we as a church, and let's, let me say, if you don't like what I just said, you're probably not going to like this church. There's a lot of other churches around here that don't have that mindset. It's getting tense in here. Make sure, let me make sure the ACs pull, pull it up all the way. We as Christians and we as a church should not be okay with that. We all know what happened in Dallas last month and what's been going on in the country for these last several years. <clears throat> but do you know that for the past couple years, pastors and churches in Dallas have been doing pulpit switches where there have been black pastors that have gone to white churches on a Sunday and those white pastors have been going to the black churches and they've been preaching and, and they've been, they've been uh, making an impact. I love that. I, lo I, I love that. And I hope we can do that as well. How would it make you feel if our ushers used discrimination where they sat people? You know, you think about that, that intro video that we did uh, with, uh, with Aaron in his, in his suit. How would you feel if, if Aaron, looking all, looking all sharp, looking all fly, the ushers saw him and they gave him the best seat in the house right here where, I, where, they, where, where people get spit on for my preaching. This is the best seat right there. You're brave. You're brave, folks. Um, how would you feel if the ushers set Aaron in the best seat in the house because of the way he looked, how he was dressed, and then Tim with shorts on gets to sit in the lobby? Like, that, that's messed up, right? Anyone in the lobby right now? We love you guys that are watching. Um if you want preferential treatment here at the bridge, I hope you don't find it. I hope you don't find it. When the church acts this way, we crush and deeply wound the spirit of people and immeasurably damage is done to the cause of Christ. There may be someone giving Jesus and the church one more chance. And when we show partiality towards them or against them, they're not going to come back. And that's sad. You've all studied in school about a man who was the leader of India. He carried a deep love and burden for the Indian people. His name was Mahatma Gandhi. He cared so deeply about the people of India, that he was searching for a philosophy, a way, a truth that would bring blessing and prosperity to the nation. 
He studied the different faiths and different ideologies and religions of the world. And in his search, he studied Christianity. He said, I believe that's it. I believe that Christianity is what the people of India need. So he went to a church to learn more. An usher met him at the door, saw who he was, and the usher said, I'm sorry, sir. This church is for Europeans only. Mahatma Gandhi walked away and became the Hindu leader of India. Here was a man who could have reached, multiplied millions of souls for Jesus Christ. But someone looked at him and someone judged his outward appearance rather than looking at his heart. And what a tragedy. What a tragedy. You think about the people that walked into a church looking for what it was really about, looking for meaning and purpose in this life, and then had prejudice come against them and turned away. And what God could have done through them. You think of the thousands of people, maybe even millions of people, that were searching for Christ and thought they found it, but then they were turned away by how his children treated them. Came across this quote, says, never judge a jewel because it comes in a plain box. Every person is a soul for whom Jesus died. If you're having a hard time loving someone, just picture Jesus dying on the cross for them. And if that doesn't help you bring empathy and, and compassion towards them, then you got a hardened heart, man. You got a hardened heart. I've seen well-put-together people tear apart a church. Tear apart. And people that were just average-looking, blue-collar individuals that poured everything they had into a church and made an eternal difference in the lives of people in the community. Don't base, don't judge a book by its cover, man. We are so guilty of that. We do it at work. College students that leave this week, don't do it. Don't do it. You know what? At the end of four years, you may look and see that your best friend is someone that you never thought you'd be best friends with. If you want preferential treatment, you're not going to find it here. You know, I was taught to always shake a man's hand and show respect. That's how I was taught. That's how I was always raised. You shake a man's hand and you stand by your word. I don't care what you look like. I'll shake your hand. You know, uh, when I take my car to mechanics, and, uh, man, if you find a good mechanic that you trust, you better stick with him, Right? So I, I find a, a good mechanic, and I'll, and I'll go and I'll pick up my car, and and uh, and he'll tell me what's what's wrong with my car, and uh, and then and then at the end I'm like, thank you so much. And it, and and I I see that even if even if it's all dirty and filled with grease, he's the one that's hesitant, right? And I'm always like, thank you so much. Shake a man's hand. Shake a man's hand no matter who they are, no matter what they look like. 
Indulgence of the rich, indifference to the poor, does not honor God in any way. The Lord warns us against the sin of discrimination. And just repeat it again, verse 4. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with wrong motives? Have you become a judge with wrong motives? This literally means, have you put one person in one category and another person in another category based on your personal prejudices? God forbids this. The ground around the cross is level, and all people are precious in the sight of God. If you haven't learned that, then you do not understand even the basics of Christianity. Your heart cannot be filled with hate if you love Jesus. It can't. And you can justify, and you can say, well, that's just how I was raised, or that's just how my mom and dad was raised, or that's how my grandma and grandpa. Who cares? You are responsible for your actions. You are responsible for your choices. You are responsible for how you treat people. Can I just talk to the owners of the bridge for a moment? If you are an owner of the bridge, meaning you believe in Jesus, you've been baptized, you serve, you tithe, You've been to our ownership class, and you said you're all in. That's what makes you an owner, because you cannot be an owner if you haven't done those things. If you say you're an owner, and you walk through the front doors, you should be looking for an opportunity to be a blessing to someone. You should try and meet at least one person who you do not know, whether they look like you or not and ask them how are they doing and strike up a conversation if you are an owner. Don't just come in, grab a cup of coffee, sit down in the sanctuary 20 minutes before service starts and not talk to one single person. That's not right, man. That's not right. We're focusing on discrimination today, but indifference is just as bad. I see new people sit in the sanctuary by themselves on a regular basis. Do you know how much it would mean to that person if you took a few minutes to say hi and get to know them? Think about you moving to a new place. Because we get new people here all the time. Say you move to a new place, and you don't know the area, you don't have family around, and you go to a church. How do you want to be treated when you walk through those doors? And all I'm asking is that you treat someone the way that you would want to be treated. Last page. been one of those kind of puppy dogs and cloud messages, hasn't it? Notice the Bible does not say that there is not to be seniority. The Bible speaks of those who have labored long in doctrine and those who have proven their lives by living the right kind of life. 
And we all know the Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. Romans 13. James is teaching us this. In the local church, there is no seniority. And there is authority, but there is no superiority. We may be different as to calling, as to appointment, as to job, position, but in the sight of God, we are all valuable. So how we create the people is a test. How we, how we react to the people is a test. If we are like God, we will not be favoring certain people because of their status, skin color, education, wealth, fame, prestige, outward appearance, or whatever it is. There's no place for, for favoritism in the heart of God, in the heart of his people, and therefore there's no place for favoritism in the heart of his church. I'm going to have the worship team coming up, and we're going to close out in a worship song. I love reading about the New Testament church, and I believe that the bridge is a New Testament church. But just think what God could do if we love people in a radical way. You know, I feel like we're a loving church. But if we stepped it up and we love people in a radical way, how many more people we could impact for the kingdom? When the church leaves the building, because we're about, the church is about to leave the building here in a few minutes, because the building is not the church. We are the church. So when the church leaves the building, and we treat everybody like they are somebody, that is being Jesus to people. You want people saying, why are you treating me like this in a good way? Romans 15, 5 through 6, says, May God, who gives this patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for the followers of, of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To be in complete harmony and to join together in one voice. Man, that's what heaven is going to be like. And that's what this life should be like as well. When Christians and the church love in a radical way like Jesus has loved us. We're going to sing a song here. And the chorus says, you give life. You are love. You bring light into the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out a praise. We pour out a praise. Last thought, and I'm close up here. When you realize that Jesus has given you life, because before Jesus, you're, you're dead. You have no life apart from Christ. When you realize that Jesus has given you life, that he's given you love, that he's brought you from the darkness to light, that he's given you hope, that he's restored you, that he has taken your broken heart and he has restored, that he has mended that broken heart, 
and he has put breath in your lungs. Listen, when you realize that Jesus and only Jesus is the one that did that, you can't help but share that same love with other people. You can't. You can't help but share that love with people who are far different than you look. So I pray this week that you would spend some time in prayer, that you would allow God to deal with your heart, and you would ask him to give you opportunities to build friendships with people who are different from you, because he will. Let me pray.